Well, uh, good evening and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters here on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. My name is Dick Whaley. This is the news and media talk show. Uh, Jim's probably having some traffic problems, so we'll wait and see if he shows. And if not, that's uh, show must go on, as they say. Uh, anyway, uh, kind of. Uh, well, cold in Ann Arbor. Cold throughout the entire mid upper Midwest, uh, down all the way to the south and even out east. And it looks like it might be moving out of here, but if you're in Ann Arbor, you get an idea of what that uh, Chicago Bears-Green uh, Bay Packers game was like yesterday in Chicago. Ann Arbor, of course, usually gets Chicago's weather about eight hours later. Uh, the Electoral College met today. Uh, faithless electors, uh, not uh, too many of them. Uh, I never put much stock in that. But uh, I'm not too sure that they've officially counted the votes. There are unofficial counts. And uh, Congress meets, I think, in early January to officially proclaim Donald Trump the 45th president of the United States, barring objections. I would say the only interesting uh, thing about this whole Electoral College uh, debate is the obsolescence of it and the fact that uh, Donald Trump canceled his uh, his uh, press conference, his news conference that he was going to have in which he discussed his conflicts of interest. No surprise there. Uh, conflicts of interest might have uh, caused some faithless electors to emerge, but that's not how the system works. Uh, members of the Electoral College are actually party uh, officials and a party aficionados. They are generally selected by our two major political parties. And in uh, throughout American history, there have been some faithless electors, but uh, generally it's electors of the Democratic Party that uh, defect and do not vote the way they're supposed to. So I don't know what the semi-official results are, but clearly... Uh, no such luck in convincing uh, very many uh, Trump-committed electors to defect and uh, vote for somebody else. Anyway, getting back briefly to the uh, um, canceled news conference, it's, of course, emerging every day that more and more conflicts of interest with Donald Trump exist. Um He's playing it tough on this uh, general uh, on on the on the Russian hacking issue, and on that particular subject, uh, uh, the conflict of interest. I'll just cover that very quickly. It's quite clear that um, it's now emerged that Donald Trump has business investments in somewhere between eighteen and twenty countries, including places like Russia and Turkey. Turkey, of course, being in the news today big time because the Russian ambassador uh, was assassinated uh, in a political assassination. 
Uh, no doubt about that. And, of course, this comes out of the uh, recent uh, Russian assault on Aleppo uh, in support of uh, Bashir al-Assad uh, with the humanitarian disaster that's been going on for months. Uh, this, by the way, was one of uh, Gary Johnson's uh, great gaffes during the campaign when he didn't know what Aleppo was. What is Aleppo? That will go down in history as one of the great uh, Rick Perry moments. How interesting that Rick Perry would be named Secretary of Energy. Uh, he's got, of course, a lot of energy on the dance floor. He was on Dancing with Stars, but what he knows about nuclear power is, uh, and the actual responsibilities of the Energy Department remain um, unclear, unknown, and unknowable. And it's unclear why Rick Perry would uh, be named to this position uh, because, unfortunately, the Department of Energy, which was created in the late 70s by Jimmy Carter uh, during uh, the continuing energy crises of the 1970s, um, is not actually involved in procuring energy or understanding energy, uh, basically the obligations of the Department of Defense were transferred to the Energy Department. And the sad reality of the Energy Department in the United States of America is that its main responsibility, both budget-wise, jurisdiction-wise, and in terms of policy, uh, is controlling our nuclear weapons facilities, places like Hanford, Washington. Um, there's a facility in South Carolina um, that I think my recollection is that it was called Savannah. Um, and then there's another facility in, Den in, in Colorado. Uh, these, of course, are nuclear... Um, processing facilities for the creation of plutonium for our nuclear arsenal, which uh, we still have, although uh, to Barack Obama's credit, one of the actual agreements that Barack Obama achieved during his presidency was a nuclear uh, agreement with Russia. Russia, of course, has been in the news a lot for the last uh, couple of weeks for all sorts of reasons, um, not the least of which is the actually incredible humanitarian disaster that's been occurring in Aleppo. Uh, Syria is, and this, of course, will go down as one of the great tragedies of the 21st century. We are talking about deaths that are now estimated to be somewhere between 400 thousand and five hundred thousand and refugees that number in somewhere between uh, four and five million many of these internally displaced people and we should make uh, no apologies for mr. Putin Putin stepped into a civil war and it is a civil war it's been going on following the Arab Spring this came out of the Arab Spring our invasion of Iraq contributed to some of the factionalism that has occurred in Syria. There can be no doubt about that. So America bears some responsibility for this catastrophe. 
But what we should remember about uh, Russia's involvement in the civil war in Syria, and it is a civil war, and unfortunately in civil wars, you don't really get a political settlement, unfortunately, until one side triumphs militarily. Americans should never forget, by the way, that Vietnam was a civil war. We got involved in it because we were propping up the South Vietnamese regime um, when, uh, in the 1950s when we canceled the results of the elections that uh, put Ho Chi Minh as leader of Vietnam. We created South Vietnam out of the uh, Geneva peace talks back in the mid-50s. And... Um, the, the Vietnam War was a civil war, in essence, in reality. And civil wars are messy. Of course, in the Vietnamese case, uh, there really were only two sides. Um, but in Syria, there's six or seven sides. And the involvement of Turkey, Saudi Arabia, Iran, Russia, and the United States has created a lot of this factionalism, this division and ISIS did indeed take over parts of northeastern Syria. This is beyond dispute. Who is ISIS? Contrary to Donald Trump's assertion, it was not created by Barack Obama or Hillary Clinton. It was created by Sunni radicals from Iraq that moved out of Iraq during the so-called awakening period, the, the deal that was made in which America bought off Sunni tribes. They went into a vacuum. And, of course, they're trying to create this mythical caliphate that uh, is collapsing all around them. Russia fights for keeps. Any decent history of the Second World War, and Jim just uh, got here a minute ago, letting him catch his breath. <laughs> he, of course, is... Trying to get in here because I won't stop talking. <laughs> He's ready to take his pen and hit me up side of, side of the face, whoop me up side of the face. But uh, I'm in doodle mode here. In doodle mode. But anyway, um, we should always remember that Russia and, and America have a very, very different opinion of war. Um, civilian casualties are treated very differently uh, by our cultures. Um, Russia plays for keeps. And their interests, by the way, in Syria have very little to do with Bashir al-Assad, per se. Their interests in Syria are related to their military bases, their naval base, their air force base. Yeah, it's a client state. Yeah. And so uh, Assad be damned, uh, as far as they're concerned. They still want access to their what they see as their turf there. And, of course, a client state is a useful thing. Uh, they're customers. They, they buy goods. Um, regardless of whether or not the Assad line will continue, uh, Russia's interest is uh, maintaining a toe in the Middle East. Indeed. And, of course, part of that is because America has a toe in the exactly. Middle East. A big toe. Uh, more than a big toe. Fascinating developments, by the way, in recent weeks regarding Saudi Arabia, another major regional player in the Syria conflict. The United States last week suspended some uh, advanced uh, weaponry uh, sales to Saudi Arabia due to the indiscriminate use of these weapons in the 
threats of war in Yemen. <laughs> Talk about another war that's going on. We're not talking about a few wars in the Middle East at the moment. We're talking about Libya, Syria, Iraq. Yemen. Yemen, Afghanistan, the Pakistan, was Waziristan border region of that, of the so-called Near East. Um, Iran, uh, of course, has their own interests in Syria that don't necessarily coincide with Russia's. But it is interesting that Russia and uh, Iran have been having more friendly uh arrangements uh, in recent years um, because they, Iran and Saudi Arabia are in a sort of perpetual rivalry in the Middle East. And that needs to be on Donald Trump's daily presidential briefing at some point. Cause I daily presidential briefing, what, what are those precisely? He doesn't. Get it. I don't want to hear the same thing over and over again. Yeah. And, of course, he doesn't want to hear that Russia might have played a role in our elections. Now, it's important to remember that the role that they played was the hacking role. They handed off the material to Julian Assange. WikiLeaks dumped it, and the media reported it. And this became a dominant narrative of the campaign Pretty much from July onward, uh, it's pretty well established from what we know that Russia was behind this. Congressional investigations are forthcoming. And I don't think Donald Trump is going to be able to wish this away. Um, well, like the, it's important to remember the uh, because this keeps getting compared to Watergate. Um, it's very different from Watergate for a number of reasons. But when the Watergate burglaries occurred, and I know some listeners are sick of us talking about Nixon, but quite frankly, it's very relevant. Yeah. Well, how fascinating that in today's New York Times, there's an article about when Trump met Nixon. Oh, right. Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. It's a fascinating story. And comparing his reaction to this uh, Russian hacking story to Nixon's reaction to the revelations of the third-rate burglary yes uh as it was uh sort of dismissed as but when the watergate burglary was reported it was just a sort of a blip but it never really went away and of course it eventually caused nixon to descend straight into full tilt paranoia and uh cover-up mode and uh he, he really didn't enjoy his second term i don't know how much enjoyment donald trump is going to get it's been fun for him now to be uh, on the victory tour on the victory tour, still glad handing himself and uh, slapping himself on the back. And, oh, I'm really stirring things up with my controversial picks. But uh, when it's official and he's actually uh, on the hot seat, let's see how much fun he has with the fact that this story is not going to go away. Well, it's not. And I think that one of the important things to remember about the chronology of events is that if you'll recall, because the story kind of broke as a Russia is involved in hacking uh, the DNC. But of because course, they hacked the RNC, too. Right. But they didn't leak the information. Precisely. Of course, the leaker was Julian Assange. And we know that Julian Assange has his own... Uh, shall we say, conflict with, with Hillary Clinton uh, for other reasons. Um, Julian Assange 
by the way, is still holed up in the uh, Ecuadorian embassy in London. Um, this is related to a sexual <laughs> assault allegation that occurred in Sweden. Uh, Assange has a white mane, sort of like Donald Trump. Um, and he plays his own role as a gadfly. But I think that most of WikiLeaks, quite frankly, over the years has been uh, somewhat mediocre uh, information. I don't think it's been all that secret, and I don't think it's been all that shocking. But leaking and hacking, of course, uh, surveillance was what the burglars in Watergate were originally after. Uh, these, of course, were um, mainly... CIA people, ex-CIA people, uh, under the tutelage of E. Howard Hunt and uh, Gordon Liddy, who was ex-FBI, they were involved in breaking and entering surveillance, the sort of 1970s version of hacking, so to speak, yeah. gathering intelligence, who was the target, the DNC. <laughs> what are the resemblances? Well, they're striking and remarkable because, of course, what ended up getting Nixon into trouble, and he had so many troubles they were hard to keep track of after a while, never mind the conflicts of interest regarding um, funneling money into his uh, Key Biscayne uh, compound in Florida and his San Clemente compound out in California. Taxpayer money was involved with that. But, of course, the infamous cover-up, the smoking gun, was uh, ordering, uh, using Ehrlichman and Haldeman. Uh, and I'll quote from Paul Lind, of all people, in honor of Zsa Zsa Gabor <laughs> in the Hollywood Squares. <laughs> he was once asked, who were the, the best of friends and the worst of enemies? And his quip was, Haldeman and Ehrlichman. <laughs> Which I remember as a kid cracking up at that because, of course, they were known as the German Shepherds. But they had ordered uh, uh, Richard Helms, head of the CIA, to tell the FBI to, quote, stay the hell out of Watergate because it involved, quote, unquote, national security, unquote. And, of course, those smoking guns on the tapes were Nixon is worried about Hunt. Hunt knows too damn much. This involves the whole Bay of Pigs thing. That's right. Hunt, uh, was intimately involved with the Bay of Pigs invasion. Right, and probably so was Nixon, because the Bay of Pigs operation, uh, just to refresh your history here, everyone's history, Kennedy took the rap on the Bay of Pigs, but this was an Eisenhower-planned operation. Uh, Kennedy, who was a bit of a... Um, shall we say, in deference to Eisenhower, actually consulted him over the Bay of Pigs plan. And Eisenhower, of course, who was the uh, general at D-Day, um, said it was solid plan. <laughs> so uh, Kennedy uh, went along with it. But it was uh, Nixon may have played a much bigger role in the whole Bay of Pigs thing. We've never been quite sure what that reference uh, refers to precisely, some have even suggested that it is a uh, euphemism for the Kennedy assassination mm -hmm. itself. Who knows? But let's get back briefly to what this Russian story and why it has so much danger for Donald Trump. Recall back in July of this past year that his campaign manager was a fellow named Paul Manafort. Manafort was relieved of duty 
Um, Rather suddenly. Around September. And who replaced him? Bannon. (laughs) Not Detective Cannon. It's Bannon, buddy. Bannon and Kellyanne Conway, who's ubiquitously in the media now as Donald Trump's maybe chief and only defender. Have you noticed that... Oh, don't forget Hannity. Giuliani and (laughs) Chris Christie have kind of exited stage left. Yeah, Christie well under the bus. Giuliani probably still clinging to the undercarriage at some level. Yeah, they're probably... uh, Well, maybe they're the version of Haldeman and Ehrlichman. (laughs) Tenacious grape. (laughs) They're going to be the fall guys in the scandal. But Manafort, of course, had uh, plenty of uh, dealings, not only with the Ukrainian regime, but the Putin regime. And of course, as I mentioned, Donald Trump's conflicts, business conflicts, uh, abound by the day. 18 to 20 foreign companies are involved in banks and loans. We have Deutsche Bank, by the way, involved in loaning Donald Trump money. Um, Chinese banks, Russian banks—it's—it's it's remarkable. Yeah, it's Twelve point seven million in secret payments by a pro-Russian party in Ukraine to Paul Manafort. Yeah, hello. That's a hefty sum. Well, can you say uh, the Mexican slush fund, Richard Nixon? Yeah. It and T. Um, yeah, call me mother. <laughs> and of course it raises quote, uh, tremendous questions, Gordon uh, Vidal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which will no doubt arise when uh, Mr. Tillerson is questioned. Oh yeah, Tyrannosaurus uh, pending, Rex. Pending his uh, appointment, uh, he of course uh, has been awarded the prestigious uh, Order of Friendship. And uh, I mean, it's just so bizarre to see a Republican president-elect who denounces the CIA and defends the Russian dictator. Well, and let's remember... should make the rest of the GOP rather nervous, I should think. Well, you'd think so, and this is not to besmirch the, the the history of Russia. Russia, of course, is a very complex society, and you know, this assassination today in, in, in public uh, of, of the ambassador to Turkey, um, shot apparently by an, quote, off-duty Turkish policeman connected to Syria. Uh, he apparently made some statements, and obviously there's going to be more reporting on this uh, uh, as, as the days unfold here. But uh, this, is a, this is a remarkable event. Many, many Russian... Uh, diplomats and officials, by the way, were assassinated at various times in the 19th and 20th centuries. Mm-hmm. This is nothing new. Um, who knows? But uh, Donald Trump's appeasement of Putin uh, is somewhat remarkable. And we should always remember that the Russian so-called communist regime was never uh, very strong in the area of theory, Marxist theory was much more authoritarian. It was much more czarist. Stalin was more of a czarist kind oh. of authoritarian figure than... than, than uh, Lenin was the intellectual. Yeah. Uh, and Trotsky. Yeah, and the Bolsheviks were, were systematically executed by Stalin. Uh-huh. So we should remember that Putin, who rumors uh, abound about his hidden wealth, uh, we're talking here about $30 billion possibly, 
the oligarchy that's taken over in Russia following the collapse of, quote, communism, um, is remarkably uh, corrupt. And the uh, people in running the show are involved in all sorts of assassinations around the well, globe. Well, and it's very difficult to determine who's official government and who's just Russian mafia. Yeah, and this, of course, is at the heart of the WikiLeaks uh, hacking scandal. I'm s- sure that this Guccifer too, Dancing Bear and Fancy Bear, or whatever they're calling themselves, these code names. Uh, that the American intelligence agencies have determined are actually Russians. There are a variety of forensic uh, details about why they are almost positive that these are Russians. Um, These are cutouts. Putin, of course, is going to deny any role in the American election. And I think that we should remember that people in America vote for all sorts of reasons. I don't think that the uh, Russian hacking uh, swung the election for Trump. But what it did do was it created the narrative that continued onward for four months. Emails, you know, the, 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 the words, the searching that so many Americans seem to get all their information from now uh, involving computers. Emails, confusion about who John Podesta is. I mean, I'm sure that his risotto recipe is fascinating secrecy, but I don't know how it tastes. But there is a rather uh, cavalier approach that Donald Trump is taking to this scandal. And uh, this may come back and bite him. Uh, I just want to point out to Mr. Trump, because I'm sure he's not listening, but he should be, (laughs) that uh, he has numerous uh, rivals in the United States Senate that are in the Republican Party. I am relatively confident that Ben Sass from Nebraska, that Lindsey Graham from South Carolina, that John McCain from Arizona, that Jeff Flake from Arizona, that Susan Collins from the state of Maine will take some measure of caution in embracing and endorsing everything Trump stands for. This cabinet is a disaster in the making already. It's filled with billionaires and airheads. And people who are primed to uh, have a major impact on areas of their own uh, financial connectivity. Yeah. So it's just self-aggrandizement and self-enrichment. And Uncle Ben, (laughs) uh, heading up the Housing and Urban Development uh, Agency, I I don't know where that's going, but I don't think it's going to turn out well. Now... To Trump's credit, I'll give him a a break on uh, uh, General Mattis. Of course, that has to be uh, (laughs) approved by Congress, not only through the hearings, but also through an exemption. And I don't know if that's going to happen. That might not happen. You don't know. But Mattis, I think, is probably pretty solid. Uh, Flynn, on the other hand, pretty scary. Pretty scary. Wilbur Ross, probably pretty solid. I'm not... Just because he's a billionaire, I'm not going to get on his case, but he is a billionaire. He was a vulture capitalist. There are two sides to the story about Wilbur Ross. I saw him a lot on television during the financial crisis. He's a cagey man, well-spoken, but not a complete villain. He did save some companies and some jobs. 
We were speaking of Rick Perry as I uh, arrived yeah. here at the studio, and uh, he's dancing bear. I think he's dancing bear. <laughs> uh, wasn't the Secretary of uh, Energy one of the cabinet positions he was going to abolish? It was. It was the one he couldn't remember that he was going to abolish. How fitting! <laughs> that was the his, it, his major blunder. His uh, oops moment, yeah. as 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 it was called back in. I would uh, abolish three uh, three cabinet positions, and they are um, education. Oh, what were they? Commerce and uh uh yeah, well you know so maybe he can abolish himself. <laughs> Apparently he will now. I did hear a kind of a amusing interview with Spencer Abraham. He was Secretary of Energy and he was in favor of abolishing it, but then he realized, hey wait a minute, I can't abolish these problems, and they are problems. I mean, as I was pointing out, the main role of the Department of Energy is securing and dealing with our nuclear waste, the Hanford facility, the plutonium bombs. And a dozen, uh, maybe even three dozen other uh, Superfund sites from the Reagan era still needing correction. Yeah, and of course, this this idea that the uh, head of the EPA, Pruitt, uh, he, he looks to me like a total disaster. He's not only a climate change denier, which I'm a little less worried about. He seems to be an EPA denier. And quite frankly, the Clean Air Act and the Clean Water Act are actually some of the good things that Richard Nixon did in collaboration with Congress back in the 1970s. Um, And, you know, we've obviously had problems with water in Flint, but we have problems with water here in Ann Arbor with the uh, uh, Gelman Sciences and the dioxane right. plume. We just had a major crisis in Corpus Christi uh, recently with a corporation apparently dumping uh, chemicals in the drinking water that were, quote, it could cause your skin to burn, let alone be drinking. Um, so I'm not too sure what uh, Attorney General, Attorney General of Oklahoma now, uh, Mr. Pruitt is 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 really. What what does he really have in mind for the EPA? Donald Trump wants to shake up Washington. I I don't know that he's shaking it up. These seem like a lot of establishment picks. Well, I'll, and you think too that like okay, so Pruitt will be named, and if he's appointed and approved to head the EPA. What about all the administrators and and bureaucrats who work in that administration? There's a degree to which there's a bureaucratic foot drag or pushback. Sure. Mm-hmm. And, uh, normal... and these are civil servants, by the way. They right. can't be fired by, yeah. by Trump. And, and they can't all be replaced. No. There's such a thing as institutional uh, knowledge and memory. Uh, how does this place actually work? Ben Carson will find this out when he realizes... Uh, well, he's as much as said virtually, I really don't know the first thing about it, but okay, I'll do it. Right. 